Well, we have been digging into the book of Daniel to find out not just how to survive. The Bible calls and shows us to far more than that. It gives us hope for far more how to thrive in a pagan culture. And more and more, America is moving in that direction because we're going in our country from a, from a culture that used to appreciate Christians to a culture that just tolerated Christians to where now I really do believe in many ways they are attacking us and pointing the finger and saying, you are the biggest problems in our culture. You are the haters, you are causing division, you don't bring love. If we could do away with Christianity, you're at the heart of the biggest problems in our culture. That's a very different day. So does God have a word for Christians living in America? Not 50 years ago, but today. Oh, he does. Go to Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six, and I hope you have a Bible or an app where you can pull it up and see it, because I'm gonna read the whole chapter. And I want you to see what it says. Daniel chapter six, beginning in verse one. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled 
from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel be brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The word of the Lord. And all God's people said... So can we learn anything from this chapter that might help us to thrive here in America where it seems like our culture is just accelerating the pace towards Babylon at a breathtaking pace. Things are changing. Ordinances are being created, right? Things are being passed. Judges are making rulings. Things are happening that are going to put us at odds with our culture if we hold on to our faith. But I hope you've been encouraged so far just by the first six chapters of Daniel. Don't ever begin to say, oh my goodness, I wish the Bible had something to say about where we are today. Oh, it does. It does. Because in many ways, you think about it, where we are now in this series Daniel chapter 6, in many ways, is simply a summary of everything we've been learning so far, is it not? There's not a lot of new themes here. There's some new details. It's a lion's den instead of a furnace. It's Darius instead of Nebuchadnezzar. But think about how much is just the same theme we've seen. You are seeing again in chapter 6 that God is sovereign and in control of who is, say it, even if they're wicked. You're seeing again the people of God being mistreated unjustly and suffering even though they've done nothing wrong. And you've got the people of God right in the mix out there in the marketplace of the culture rubbing right up against unbelievers who are threatened by them. They don't understand them. And... It's a mixed bag because even though they're threatened by us and they're threatened by believers and this concept of God and these values they have, there's still a bit of an attraction to it and they're puzzled by it. And then finally, once again, you've got God's people trusting God while they're being mistreated unjustly and facing horrible circumstances. That really is the summary of what we've seen in Daniel so far, over and over and over. So as we've tracked with Daniel now, get this, Daniel chapter six, he is, he's been in another land 66 years now. 
more than six decades. Daniel's been with the Babylonian Empire, then his son. Now he's with Darius. He's going to be with Cyrus. But at this point, Daniel is between 85 and 90 years old. He started as a teenager. He's eight, between 85 and 90 years old. And this chapter finds him now serving under, not his first, not his second, his third pagan government administration. And I think we've got an amazing example and illustration of what Jeremiah said to the exiles when they first landed in Babylon. Now, Jeremiah is the prophet that God raised up to continue to cry out to the people of God, oh my goodness, repent, repent, repent. You're worshiping the gods of this land and you're going to be punished. God is going to disperse you and send you into exile. They didn't repent. He sent them into exile, but it's very interesting when you read Jeremiah, then Jeremiah has a word of the Lord and the first word he sends to those exiles in Babylon, do you remember what he said to them? Let me read it to you. Jeremiah 29 verses four to seven. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, this is God speaking, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What's he want them to do? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, why was that one of the first words from the Lord to the exiles in Babylon? I'll tell you why. Because they didn't think they were gonna be there long. And they did not engage with the culture or the city and they tried to start little communities of their own outside subcultures, a world unto themselves. And God said, no, 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 no. I want you to engage with the city, this dark, wicked city, with the culture, the economics, and the social life of Babylon, while at the same time still holding on to your faith and your identity as the people of God. Now that's hard, isn't it? We tend to think on a human level, oh, we're supposed to be the people of God, hold on to our identity, think differently, live differently, have a value system that's different. Best way to do that? Separate, 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 separate. This is not, we're not the first group of believers to struggle with that. It's always been the deal. And God's deal has always been engage. Maintain your identity, hold on to your faith, live peculiar, but live it in the city, in the culture, not outside of it. You say, Brad, how do you know that's still the deal? Jesus, does this not sound a lot like the word of our Savior to us in the Sermon on the Mount? When he said, you are the, two analogies, salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Now stay with me. For salt to make a difference, it has to get up against what is decaying and rotting. Salt in that day was not to flavor food, people. It was, too, it was too valuable. They had no refrigeration. It was for preservation. It was pre preserving things so that they would not rot and decay. Salt has to get up against what is decaying to make a difference. Light has to step into the darkness to make any difference. Here's the problem. And I know it's scary. Don't hear me saying it's not scary. I know it's counterintuitive. Don't hear me saying it doesn't make sense. The best way to be the people of God and maintain our identity and live differently is just do it with a, so let's just all hang out with salt, all the salt over here. And we sing salt songs together. We are salt, we're salt, we're salt. We, we hate decay, we're salt, we're salt. Look at all that decay. And we exercise together as salt and we educate together as salt and we're just, folks, Salt. Listen to the words of your Savior in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5. 
You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, let me help you, if you are light, he intends for you to not be under a basket with other Christians, but on a stand. That street you live on with difficult, godless people is a stand where he's got you as light. That job place is a stand where he wants there to be light. That place you exercise or shop or whatever it is, on a stand, on a stand, on a stand. I'm all for I may, I may offend some people now, but I am all for us blessing brothers and sisters in Christ, but I've never been a huge fan of, and I hear it constantly, can we create a directory for our church so we'll know who all the plumbers are and carpenters and engineers and car, and we wanna use all Christians to do, do all that. I would like to say to you, I love buying my tires at a regular place and now they get to know me and they know I'm a pastor and I hope I treat them differently and I wanna go to a pharmacy where there's, I want to be with, these are the one one of the few ways I can be around unbelievers is when I need a repair, when I need something done. Don't hear me saying there's never a time to use a brother or sister in Christ. Let me also mention something you might not know. Sometimes there's a Christian that's actually not really good at what they do. I'd rather have an unbeliever who's good. Just saying. But this whole, I mean, if we stopped, if we just didn't use, and I'm, I was about to name him, but I shouldn't. We have used the same plumber for 23 years and I've shared the gospel with him. He doesn't know Jesus. I bet there's a plumber in our church. Sorry, I'm not gonna use you. Just last week, something stopped up and so I've got this man in our home again. Good. Salt, light, sit on a stand, sit on a stand, sit on a stand. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. For them to see your good works, folks, you're gonna have to be with them at close range. Salt and light, salt. And, like, and think about this. If you just want an argument, there's, there's, there's the words of our Savior. You want an argument? Think about this. If he did not intend us to be salt and light, to get up against what is decaying and up against what is rotting and in the darkness, why not just take believers home as soon as they get saved? Why are we here? What happened to Teddy? Oh, he got saved. He's gone. His wife's grieving. Kids have no one to throw the ball with. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. He gone. Last week, we lost another one on our street. The man, we prayed for him for years. He prayed to receive Christ. Gone. Why stay if you're just going to huddle up and say, we don't want to be around darkness. We don't want to be around unbelievers. Oh, it's so bad here. He left us here to be salt and light and to engage the culture. Now, could you just get sucked into darkness and could you just get all caught up in the rot yourself? Did he give us anything to help that not happen? See, here's the the problem. He never thought you could do it on your own. The spirit of the living, resurrected Jesus lives in us. Stop saying, oh, Jesus would still just here in bodily form and would show up at the Kenwood Mall. We could really see some stuff done. He's done something better. Jesus, when you read the gospels, could only be in one place at a time. And God said, I'm gonna put Jesus all over Pendleton County, over in Cincinnati, in the three northern counties, in southern Indiana, and beyond, because every believer now has Jesus living in them. You are actually fighting against the very thing God wants to do. He delays his return so that unbelievers can be convicted of their sin and know there's hope and see some light and have some salt and say, what's the hope that you have? And so that more people can come to Christ is why he delays salt and light. God wants us to engage with the culture around us. All right, if we're supposed to then, what would this look like, maybe you're saying? All right, first, this. Engaging the culture should affect what you do and where you choose to do it. What you do and where you choose to do it. If you're gonna engage the culture, you should give some thought to what do I do 
and where would I choose to do it? I want you to think about something. Daniel is a gifted leader. Would you not agree? Do they keep him on board because they love his God? No, he must be good at what he's doing. He's in his third administration and he's gonna go on to a fourth. Daniel must have had some amazing administrative and leadership gifts. Daniel also was one of those people that could bring the revelation of God. He could, inter- he could say, look, he could have spent a lifetime as a full-time prophet in, watch where I'm about to go, full-time ministry. Like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. But instead he was second class because he spent his entire life in government, administration, I bet he actually shuffled some papers and stuff. And he missed the perfect will of God. God's perfect will would have been to use those gifts in full-time ministry as a prophet or a missionary or a... Did Daniel waste his life by spending his entire life in a godless pagan administration? No, he did not. He did not. But we've still got some Christians and some churches that teach it that way. If you really want your life to count, it's got to be missionary, youth pastor, pastor, something along those lines. Now here's what'll happen. I hope you know you're not sitting in that church. We just did a redeeming work series. So you should not be thinking or talking that way, but here's what it'll look like. If you adopt the mindset that the only things that really matter are teaching a Sunday school class, leading a small group, going on a short-term missions trip, again, don't hear me saying everybody quit teaching. Please don't. Or leading a small group. Do hear me saying Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as you work that job in the marketplace, your work matters to God. And then thank you for also using a gift on Sunday to teach a class or on Thursday night to help lead a small group. Your whole life matters to God. Not just Brad Bigney and the people that are full-time on staff. Your whole, because if you adopt the mindset that what you actually do in the marketplace really doesn't matter, here's what'll start to happen. You'll treat it as a paycheck. And you'll start just doing enough to get by just to not lose that job. But this job just doesn't matter. I save my best talents and time for the things that really matter, ministry. You didn't find that in the Bible. You didn't find that in the Bible and you didn't hear that from your Savior. That's not how the scriptures talk to us. We should be good at what we do and our work matters to God. Daniel served in a godless government administrative job for almost a century. And he has almost nothing to show for it also. Consider this. He has almost nothing to show for it. Here's another idolatrous king, even though he knows of Daniel, that has no more sense or respect for Daniel than to pass an edict like this, right? And he let these guys come and say this. He knew of Daniel. Why didn't he say, where's Daniel? Wait a minute, where's Daniel? He signs it into place. He's so arrogant and thoughtless and careless after decades of Daniel faithfully serving and being one of the best at what he does. Now this is what he's facing. His life is in jeopardy because his faith in God is now right in conflict with something that's put in place in the culture. That's gotta hurt. The the culture of Babylon is no more, they're no more believers in the one true living God than when he got there. There's been no revival. There's been no awakening. You know, Jonah went as a prophet to Nineveh and saw the entire city repent. Daniel has been serving in Babylon for Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and there's been no awakening or massive revival in Babylon. And now as an old man, what does he get? His life is threatened after faithfully serving and being good at what he does. So here's a question I want to ask you. Oh yeah, we may be headed towards more holding on to our faith in Christ may cost us our lives. So it's a good question to say, are you willing to serve God if it costs you everything? 
And as much as that's a sobering question to ponder, here's what I do believe. I think we're more prone to saying yes to that because at least it sounds like, but my life mattered. I could lay my life down for Christ and oh, people, usually when you're a martyr, oh, it has an effect. I got a harder question for you because it's really more where we are in America. Are you willing to serve God for a lifetime when it looks like it changes nothing where you are? Oh, that's hard because we want to leave a legacy. We tie our sense of whether our life matters to what we see changing around us right now. God doesn't. Daniel's reward will be just as great as Jonah's reward. He was where God wanted him, and he was one of the best at what he did, and he was faithful. Two questions for you to think about. We may need to come to a point where we have to lay down our lives, but we're not there yet, folks. Are you willing to serve God for a lifetime in the marketplace Even though as far as you can see, this has made no difference. Get this. We don't engage the culture because we're guaranteed that we'll see amazing results. We engage the culture because God has called us to be salt and light. Leave the results with him. Just like we leave the results with him on evangelism, share the gospel. You can't make someone become a Christian. Guess what? Be salt and light. You have no way of controlling. Will this bring revival? Will I see lives change? I don't know. But will you stand before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you willing to serve a lifetime if it looks like it's making no difference? But we need to, if we're going to engage the culture, you want to think about what you're doing and where you're doing it. And I want you to think, whatever you're doing, Anywhere in the marketplace, you are glorifying God. Be good at it. Daniel, look at verses three and four again. It says he was distinguished. He was good. He had an excellent spirit. So he was good at what he did. But not just that. Engaging the culture should also include a concern about who you are and how you do it. You see... There are a lot of people in our culture with great abilities that do not have great character. God wants us to have both. But I actually believe sometimes Christians are more guilty of thinking, it doesn't matter whether I'm good at this. I want to be a man or woman of integrity as I do it. Let me caution you. If you're bad, you work at a company, and there's certain things you're supposed to do, and you're actually not that good. Repent and get better. Grow, find out how to be the best at what you do. If you are working somewhere and you're not a man or woman of character as you do it, repent, both. Be good at what you do, it matters to God. Have character and integrity as you do it, it matters to God. Look what happens. When you get promoted, so they had three people over the entire kingdom. Daniel is so trustworthy, Darius has decided to put him over the entire kingdom. Notice, because nothing new under the sun, it says at the end of verse two, the king does not want to suffer loss. Do you know what that means? People are stealing, people are doing dishonest things, people are wrecking his kingdom, and he's learned, you know what? Daniel doesn't. Daniel has integrity and character. I don't want to suffer loss. I don't worship his God, but I don't want to suffer loss. Remember in the work series when I told you I read an article that said even though in China today as Christians are being persecuted and they're they're rejecting Jesus, business owners want to hire Christians because they don't steal from them, because they work hard, because they're some of the best at what they do. Oh, that that would be said in America. Well, find me a Christian. Even sometimes it breaks my heart. I see this. Sometimes a Christian wants to work for another Christian, and they think that's a reason to not work as hard. Well, he's a Christian. What's your problem? Are you going to do that to a brother? Or work hard for a believer. Work hard for an unbeliever. Work hard because guess what? You don't work for a believer or unbeliever. You work for Jesus Christ. 
And you work hard whether they're looking or whether they're not. And you work hard whether everyone else is doing it that way or not. Now I want you to think about this. Imagine this. Daniel has been serving in government administration. Leaders have come and gone, but he's been in the same place. Same palace has just changed who's in charge of it. Those closest to him decide they want to take him down. All right, again, nothing new under the sun. As he's about to get promoted, does everybody else around you usually get excited and say, I'm so happy for you. Yes, you deserve that. You're a better worker than me. No, they hate you. And they try to find a way to take you down. So he's about to be promoted. They decide to start digging to see what they can find on Daniel related to the kingdom. That means business, how it's being done. After 66 years of serving, they can't find anything. Can you imagine that? Now, is Daniel perfect? Is he sinless? Let me tell you what he is, blameless. 13 times in the New Testament, it commands Christians to be blameless in the sight of the world. Let me help you what that word blameless means. It doesn't mean perfect, it doesn't mean sinless. It means to not give anyone a cause to accuse you. Now stay with me. Even if you give no one cause to accuse you, could they still accuse you and make something up? Yes, but don't give, some of you make it too easy. Don't give them a cause to accuse you. So let me ask you, if those working closest to you or me wanted to take you down, how hard would it be to find anything on you related to your job, what you're supposed to be doing? Never mind what everybody else is doing, but what you're supposed to be doing. Tendency is, well, everybody does that. Let me give you a little pop quiz. What do each of the following organizations or people all have in common? Enron, Freddie Mac, Goldman Sachs, Martha Stewart Incorporated, the Securities and Exchange Commission, Richard Nixon, Bill Clinton, David Letterman, Newt Gingrich, Arthur Anderson. I could stand here and just continue to rattle off names and companies. And as diverse as they might sound, they all share one thing in common. Every single person or organization on that list made national news because they were either party to or victim of a scandal. Because someone decided that because everybody is doing it, they would go ahead and allow or do something that everybody is doing, so why resist? Why speak up? It won't make any difference, but it blew up in their face. See, here's how this works. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. When someone decides to blow the whistle and push it into the light, the only thing that everyone will be hearing is that you were caught doing it. That's how that works. When you think about all the politicians and leaders that go down and we find ourselves think, think, thinking, there's thousands of others doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. They, for whatever reason, and it should be, it should never be a believer. Never mind if everyone's doing it. Let it not be that when it goes down, it's someone who names the name of Christ that was less than a man or woman of integrity or character. And you see, here's, the, here's how this works. Daniel went from being distinguished, you see in verses three to four, distinguished to being despised in one verse. What changed with Daniel? Well, what had he changed that brought that on? Nothing. He's still doing the same thing that he's always done. Here's what I want you to understand. We don't get to decide or choose whether we're gonna be distinguished or despised. The only choice we have is whether or not we're gonna be faithful and whether or not we're gonna be surprised when we're despised. If you read the Bible, how much of it? Say it again. There is a theme, especially in the New Testament, that you will see that I think you, you could summarize this way. Don't be surprised when you're despised. 
But we keep saying, well, wait a minute, I'm a hard worker. Wait a minute, I serve with integrity. I hope you do. Just remember the world still may come after you because we scare them. We're a threat. They don't know what to do with us. As much as you're scared of them, trust me, they're scared of us. I don't think they actually believe we're nice and they just wanna say we're not. They are scared of us. It rocks their world view and grid and those things dearest and nearest to them. We are a threat, we frighten them, they don't understand us, we are strange. And so there's gonna be times that you will be despised though you've done nothing wrong or even lacked character in how you did it. Listen to 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit and glory of God rests on you. You say, okay, Brad, then as I engage the culture and try to hold on to my faith and my identity and be the best at what I do and even character with how I do it, beyond being faithful and trying not to be surprised when I'm despised, what else should I be doing? Let me encourage you to do what Daniel did for a lifetime. Here's the first thing. Form a habit of prayerful and thankful communion with God that you know him. He's dear to you, you love him. Look at verse 10. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Key phrase, as he had done previously, the new King James says, as was his custom from early days. You know when the best time is to cultivate an intimate, sweet relationship with God that you know him and you pray and you rest in him? before you're in the lion's den. Now don't hear me saying God won't hear you and he'll say, I hadn't heard from you in a while, just you're on your own. But we got Christians that don't start crying out to God until they're in the lion's den. Form a habit. You, I, I'm calling you to get out there right up against darkness, right up against de decay. I'm not calling you to think you can do it on your own. That's why he gave us the scriptures and gave us direct access to his throne and gave us the Holy Spirit and said, you must be filled with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Have your mind renewed by God's word. Keep getting hope from God's word. Keep seeing the bigger picture of eternity framed up with this right here, right now moment of light affliction. If you're not reading this and you're not in communion with God, good luck on how it'll go out there. But it breaks my heart as I talk about the Bible. So often I create awkward moments and I don't even mean to. Hey, let's talk about where you're reading the Bible right now. Something that God's spoken to you and it's been an encouragement to you. Eyes go to the floor like I've put in new flooring. Nothing's changed. But they don't want to make eye contact. Why? They're not reading their Bibles. And when I press and say, what is going on? Oh, I, I just don't have time. Talk to the hand. You gotta be kidding me. It'd be like meeting with your physician and saying, I am anemic. I'm exhausted. I feel weak. My shoulder does this all the time now. Are you eating fruits and vegetables and lots of food and lots of water and three good meals a day? Oh, I don't have time. Oh, shut up. Go feel bad. Right, what doctor would put up with that? You must eat. I'm your soul physician and I actually do love you. This is not just for pastors and full-time people in ministry. This is for you as you go into that accounting firm. This is for you as you go into that public school. This is for you as you go into that business and factory. This is for you as you try to manage real people that are all sinners. This is for you in that HR department. This is for you in the music and arts industry. This is for you in the construction industry, in politics, in government, in administration, running a small business. This is for you. You gotta have your mind renewed and your heart filled with hope and reoriented to what matters most and to see that other, other believers have faced hard things too and you can too. Habit of prayerful, thankful communion 
with God. But look what else he did. He had built a personal history of God's faithfulness by serving God year after year after year. And here's what I mean. He's 85 years old now. He's been there 66 years. I love that the Bible gives us, this is a history of God's faithfulness with names of people that I never met. So I love to see it. Oh, look at God's faithfulness with people. Here's what starts to happen. If you do choose to spend time with God and pray and read his word and know him, you start to have your own record of God's faithfulness. You may be facing something scary, but if you've been clinging to him, looking to him, living for him, spending time with him, you've seen answers to prayer. You've seen how he helped you there and you trust he'll help you here. You have a personal history of God's faithfulness. That's what Daniel had. Daniel had built a history of God's faithfulness in his own life. And here's what I also want you to notice. It's worth noting. He's 85 years old now, and his faith is being severely tested yet again. Don't ever start to think, oh, I'm old now. No matter how long you've walked with the Lord, no matter what your age, you cannot begin to coast and just settle in and think the enemy is not going to attack you now and just ride on previous faithfulness. Be ready. It says, be vigilant, be ready. Your enemy, Satan, goes about as a roaring lion. Seek. He's not gonna let up. He doesn't say, oh, she's old. He doesn't care how old you are. He doesn't care how long you've walked with the Lord. Must be vigilant. Daniel is being severely tested with his faith in his old age. So what did he do? Look at verse 23. He trusted God. But it was easier to do at 85, I bet, than as a teenager because he's got a history of God's faithfulness now. I'm gonna trust God like I've always done. I'm gonna trust God like I've always done. He trusted. And notice, it's not just I've heard there's a God that you can trust. We saw it worded that way from some of the pagan kings. It's his God. You see it in verse 23? Because he had trusted in, say it, his God. His God, he's my God, I know him, I know him, I know him. But now get this, you'll never have the courage to suffer well and be misunderstood. We do not like being misunderstood. As hard as suffering is, there's something about the human nature, we hate being misunderstood. Ah, it just feels so wrong, you got me all wrong. We need to understand, just expect the world to not only do things that make us suffer, but to misunderstand us. They don't get us. They never will. Apart from Jesus in their life, they don't get us. You don't make sense. You're frightening. But you'll never be able to suffer well or patiently be misunderstood until you know and love the one who suffered most for you. I want to point out a mistake that I see people make. I am I'm thrilled to be in an Old Testament book like Daniel. I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it. Character, narrative, history, context. But here's the mistake I see people make when they use the Old Testament. I see it especially with children's curriculum. But sometimes adults step into it as well. You make too much of Daniel. Daniel to the exclusion of the greater Daniel, Jesus Christ, and you take this passage in isolation without the greater scope and sweep of what all of scripture says, and you come up with things like this. It's in children's curriculum. Oh, look at how Daniel trusted God. It turns into moralism, formulistic, simplistic moralism that sounds like this. Look at Daniel, he was good. He had character, he was excellent in what he did, he trusted God, and if you trust God, God will shut the mouths of lions. Be like Daniel. I grew up in church and in youth groups that constantly challenged us, dare to be a Daniel, dare to be a Daniel. And there's a level at which that's good, unless you're not talking even more about the greater Daniel, Jesus Christ. Because look at the parallels between Daniel and the greater Daniel. 
Maybe you heard some of it as I read it and thought, oh, look at that. Like Daniel, Jesus was exiled from the glories of heaven into a dark, decaying culture. Like Daniel, Jesus was falsely accused by the leaders who were jealous. Like Daniel, Jesus had a stone placed in front of the cave and it was sealed. Like Daniel, Jesus had to entrust himself, trust himself to God the Father. But unlike Daniel, unlike Daniel, Jesus was torn to pieces by the tooth and claw of our sin and the roar of God's wrath was poured out on him for us. So that our biggest problem has been solved. That, if you're not talking about that enough, that is what will give you the courage to go through lesser trials and dens of lions. Because here's how this works, right? If you, hear, if you heard the Bible and it was taught to you, or you've read it in a way that here's the principle, have integrity, work hard, trust God, he'll shut the mouths of lions. You might be saying, and here's what I hear people say, oh, it doesn't work. Christianity doesn't work. I worked hard, I had integrity, and I got eaten by the lions anyway. I'm done with this. God's not faithful. The Bible doesn't teach that. Yes, he stopped the mouths of the lions for Daniel. Read Hebrews 11. It says, starting with verse 36, and some were sawn in two. Some were eaten by lions. Some were who had faith, who had faith, who had faith. We have no guarantee that we won't be eaten. Our guarantee is that he's gonna rescue me either way. He'll either rescue me from this trial or if this instance takes my life, it simply ushers me into his presence because he's already rescued me and saved me from something far greater, my sin problem that separated me from a holy God. And then when you know if he loved me enough to do that and solve my biggest problem and I have a greater Daniel Jesus, so you, you need to be reading your Bible the Old Testament is all a big finger pointing forward, saying he's coming, he's coming. Jesus is the main character in the Bible. Old Testament is he's coming, he's coming. One greater is coming. To so New Testament is a big finger pointing back, saying he came, he lived, he died, he rose again, he's coming again. You gotta read your Bible through the grid of Jesus. And then you're able to say like Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Oh, our God is able. And we believe he will de deliver us. Remember the three words? But if not, if we're eaten by lions, if we're burned, we will not bow down. And we will trust our God because he never promised to remove all hard circumstances. You can go home and watch that on TV. You can buy that in best-selling books. It's just not in the best-selling book of all time, the Bible. This book has a theme. Don't be surprised when you're despised. But God has solved your biggest problem. And that can give you courage to stand in the face of lesser problems in our world. So, oh, listen. Two groups of people I want to plead with. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I don't want you to go out of here and try to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. I want you to look to the greater Daniel, Jesus, who was torn by the tooth and claw of sin, all of our sin. Your sin was placed on him and shredded him. The wrath of God, the roar of God's holy wrath against your sin was placed on Jesus instead and he took it for you so that you would never have to experience it yourself. Come to Christ. Put your trust in the greater Daniel and you'll never be alone again. That greater Daniel living in you will help you with everything you face. But maybe you're here and you are a child of God. And right now, you're in the lion's den. 
It may be a lion's den that's related to work, family, health, a shattered dream of some sorts. I don't know, and you feel like you're getting eaten alive. It's sucking the life out of you. You feel hemmed in and like there's no way out. What should you do? Go to 1 Peter chapter five and let me show you what to do. As we close, 1 Peter chapter five, beginning in verse six, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Don't get bitter. Don't rise up and tell God how how he has to do things so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. He may choose to exalt you right now in this life and distinguish you again. Or he may choose to leave you despised the rest of your days here. But these days are your short days. This is the moment. So that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares on him because he cares. You say, how do I know he cares for me? It doesn't seem like he cares for me. This is awful. You don't look at your circumstances now or your job. You look to the cross. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things for this problem? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Oh, listen to this. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. All God's people said, Amen. Oh God, thank you for the example of Daniel. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to take fresh inventory of what we do have filled with your spirit, the spirit of the living Christ. Direct access to your throne day or night in prayer. Brothers and sisters in Christ that we don't live in a land where we have to park cars in a scattered way across several blocks for them not to know we're meeting. We can meet. We can clog up a neighborhood street on a Thursday or Wednesday night for small group. We can sing with the windows open. God, thank you for what we do have. We have fellowship with one another. We have your word in our own language in multiple translations while there are people groups who do not have the Bible. We have your word. We have your spirit. We have access to your throne and we have each other. Thank you. Use us in our weakness to be salt and light in the midst of what is decaying and dark. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.